Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Welcome to Trek Tuesday, with interviews from every Star Trek generation. Hi, and welcome to Sci-Fi Talk, and it's very cool to have the first part of my conversation with Larry Nemesek. He's a Star Trek authority, writer, actor, and director, too. We chat about his involvement in covering Star Trek, and we also chat about the new J.J. Abrams movie. Here's my conversation. You know, it's great to talk to you after meeting you at uh, Comic-Con uh, this past summer, and actually I'm in the middle of planning for this year's trip, as a matter of fact. Um, one of the things I heard about you is um, is the infamous Con of Wrath. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you can talk about that a little bit for us, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, I, I never get tired of talking about this unless I realize that people are tired of hearing me. No, <laughs> um, no. The con of wrath is is like one of those ha ha clever things, but I don't take credit for the title because it was actually born of this real life event, which was actually the first big mega convention, actually mega show, you know, rock star kind of event that anyone tried to dream up for the Star Trek folks back wow. in kind of the golden days. I mean, the first Star Trek convention, um, and unless somebody like in soap operas or something did something like this. You know, that we'd had lit cons since literary sci-fi conventions for books and authors, uh, which were pretty radical in their day, I guess, or uh, unusual, since the late 30s and the World Cons and the Hugo Awards and all that. Yeah. But it wasn't until the 60s and Star Trek and then the cancellation and the fan... Mm-hmm. Everything we think of as media fandom now came... You know, Star Trek kind of wrote the book about it, even yeah. Star Wars and, and all that. And the first Trek conventions were the famous ones in New York in 73 and then onward. And then they kind of popped up around the country. But you had this idea it had to be an urban center and all that with these guys. Uh, Houston was not a small, you know, small market or anything. Sci-Fi Talk continues, so stay tuned. Some guys who had been doing conventions in Houston in 1981-82 decided they dreamed big with this huge event they called um, the Ultimate Fantasy, actually was the name of it. I they remember were that. They cast all together at the same time. And not just, you know, at a hotel answering questions and signing autographs. They had, they dreamed of having a big talk show kind of format. They actually built a revolving stage shaped like a, a you know, insignia, an enterprise mm-hmm. patch insignia. To where they were going to have an orchestra where Nichelle could sing live and they had Walter write a one act play. They'd perform and they wanted to have everybody there together. And it was timed to be a couple of weeks after the Wrath of Khan opened. Right. And they wound up having Hart Bennett and Kirstie Alley. Nice. Merritt Buttrick, Lake Merritt Buttrick. And they had Starlog Magazine involved, which any of your guys are listening, go back before the internet. I remember uh, Starlog. It used to be, yeah, it used to be the big magazine. They had full page, that's what got my attention, was full page ads in Starlog. And Carol Quinn, who was a longtime editor publisher. Sure. Can be the master so much. So there was a regular Houston Con convention going on in the dealer's room and math parading panels and lit guests and artists and all that art show. And this was set up, the, the kicker was, that this mega show, kind of rock show, was actually going to be in the arena where the uh, Houston Rockets played NBA basketball and where they had rock shows and, you know, mm-hmm. touring uh, musicals and things at the Summit Arena. So you went to the con and you had a separate Kikatron ticket to go over to to the show. And they had three shows, 18,000 seats apiece in this arena. And that was the plan. And three months out, they were told that it was a sellout. People tried for weeks leading up to it to get tickets. Wow. And everybody came in on Friday, the actors from L.A., mm-hmm. the fans, the you know the, the local guys who were racing around trying to make this go, all of whom had like 
audiovisual and production and tech backgrounds. They weren't a bunch of dweebs. They had this handle. And uh, the dealers. And suffice it to say, things did not quite go as they had intended. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it in a nutshell. And then, and I just wonder, I was, it was my first road trip as a kid. I took some pictures and went on. And a couple of years ago, I ran into a guy who was the tech director there, and it just rekindled all these memories. And, you know, if you know my background, I'm a word guy from yep. news, news, blah, And I've, but I've been around media. I have a, one of my degrees is in theater, and I've directed and produced plays, and I have done some acting and gotten back into that lately. And I wanted to do something in media. I live in LA now, and it's, you know, it's media town. You don't just interview people, you get them on camera. Right. And this, like, huge light bulb went off in my head the first time I, I was like, this is something I can do. This will be my first thing to do, because I knew, Harv and Walter and George and Michelle and those those guys would probably talk to me, and they have. When I found out that all the original core people in Houston were still there, pretty much. Wow. I went, oh my God, this is very producible. So it's been a it's been a real kick and a very lightweight kind of, you know, we just do a little bit of time over the last couple of years, and I hope to get it wrapped up this year, and then we'll get into post and see what we can fluff up. That's an yeah. amazing story. I, and I hadn't even meant to go down. I hadn't even meant to be like 60 Minutes and Mike Wallace. But there's been some actually some kind of interesting little quirky things. But yeah. people kind of blame the guy at the middle for this. But it turned out that there's probably some, I don't want to say conspiracy theories. But <laughs> it's all kind of like the Wild West early days. Well, oh hell. It's still a Wild West thing when you get to local conventions like that. Oh, yeah. events. But those kind of things are coming up. So that's all been kind of, and I just kind of let it unfold as we've done on. It's been a lot of fun. You know, I, I really have to credit you because I think you're one of the people that really kept Star Trek going when, um, when Star Trek really needed it, when there wasn't much new content out there. And then, of course, the next generation and, and we had like a, like a, you know, like a real, not a glut, but a real rebirth of Star Trek. And then, and, uh, and now we have a movie coming out this year that people are really looking forward to. But, uh, I mean, you were one of the people I think I would, on a very short list that kept it going and, and really kept people's interest in Star Trek alive. You're probably exaggerating a little bit there, but I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I've just tried to do, I mean, I was a fan, and I mean, I have a, you know, post Shatner's Saturn Live sketch, I've always had a life, thank you. I have a, I worked in news for 15, print news for 15 years, in weeklies and dailies, and I had two theater degrees, and, you know, had a great mix of hobbies and things I enjoyed, but Star Trek was one of them, and when I, when Next Generation came back, I, I'd worked on a little, um, I mean, this is all boring stuff, but uh, Memory Alpha has an overkill file on me, but I had done some projects like in the original series rerun era and yeah. got ripped off on credit and things and I kind of went oh well fine I'm going to get back and I'm going to start the original Star Trek maps and things but I'd always had my stuff and I was a big background fan you know some people's first reaction to Star Trek is to go out and write Dean stories and now it's right. like go do a fan film and my thing was I was just amazed at the universe and you know not so much the you know the old uh, we were laughing about this after WonderCon because they had, we had I was on a panel that actually kind of did this but you know, the old, who would win? Uh, the Enterprise or Millennium Falcon, you know, or whatever. The next yeah, yeah. battle, those kind of things. Yeah, who knows? But, but the fact that they've made this on such a tiny budget, they made this incredible universe you could just step through. And it was really kind of the first time anybody had done that on a scale. Yeah. You know, before Star Wars and before Firefly and before. So that was always my attraction. And to know why they did things and the choices and much less know what more of it would look like yeah everything i've ever done has just been aimed at asking those questions once i got to 
to the seats of power mm-hmm. through my little fanzine that got picked up in the Next Generation Companion and we moved to LA. And when I was in a position like doing the Communicator magazine to be able to ask those questions my way, it was great to see that most fans were like going, oh, okay, cool. You know, it's, it's not just the old standard interview people and be done with it kind of thing. But I, I mean, I think it really contributed to Star Trek history, so you should be really, you know, proud of your contribution. Well, I, I appreciate that. It's a never-ending <laughs> never ending battle and it goes on mm-hmm. and you know when Enterprise went down and yeah. all these things happened the communicator but I remember before before Viacom split and the Cypher mm-hmm. the communicator go and all that and I remember people looking at me and saying um, when are you guys going to go on and I said there are so many stories and connections and research with Trek to be done still of course you know whenever the next show or movie is out five or ten years or whatever you know it wound up being four but it's like, you know, this is, there's so much here and so many more people and so many behind the scenes people to get, I mean, if anything else, that's what I've tried to do is, I, we all love the actors, but I remember sitting in a convention, in fact, at uh, Starfest in Denver, mm-hmm. and hearing, you know, you know, love Marina, love Jonathan, love Michael Dorn, love, you know, Patrick and, and, and all the cast. But I kept hearing that always say somebody asked a question, a Q and A question, and they said, "Well, you know what? That's a Mike, that's a that's a Michael uh, Michael Westmore question. You know what? Yes. That's a Herman Zimmerman question. You know what? Or that's a that's a Ira Bear question. Or that's a Michael Pillar question." Or and I thought I kept saying, "You know, I was always one that would say, well, why don't we get them on stage?' You know. So and and finally, that's evolving. That's just kind of maturing of the fan base. But that's what I always tried to bring to anything I ever did was be the person that got to ask those questions. And then when I did the companion. Anything I did and anything I've written since then, even my little column I do for the Titan magazine that, that publishes now, uh, is, you know, try to bring a mix of that and here's some Hollywood business reality, you know, and why that affects things certain ways. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I appreciate that. That's all, that's all I've ever tried to do. You know, it really, uh, it really means a lot to a fan. I know you've written several books and, 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 and written for several publications and, uh, just, you know, all that contributes and keeps something alive that really shouldn't die. It's such a great concept, and uh, I'm I'm really grat. Have you seen anything of the new movie yet? I haven't seen any. I haven't seen anything more than what's out there for people to pick up and, and do. Because it, it's kind of a it's kind of a new world. But I mean, I got used to it with '09. But I always said during the next gen films when mm-hmm. I was out here front row seat that it would be. I had to write them for chapters in my book and magazines and everything. And, I remember a couple of times thinking, especially with the ones that didn't do, especially with how we got the insurrection nemesis. Yeah. Because I'd slogged along with them to some extent. And I remember thinking when they opened and people had their flaws and try, and, and knowing kind of why things were the way they were, but wishing I'd had that fresh, mm-hmm. you know, almost wish I'd been with fresh eyes on opening night. And boy, I got that with, with, you know, JJ's 09 movie. <laughs> it was yeah. like, I mean, you knew a lot of that. I mean, even watching it the first time, the Spock Uhura angle in there was, that was the one thing of watching it that was a total shock and surprise that I hadn't seen anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And remember having a visceral reaction to that. But, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this and, and mm-hmm. I, I know what Alex, um, uh, what, uh, I'm sorry, I know what Bob Orsi told me a couple of years ago, what he wanted to bring to the script, what he thought was lacking in the first one. So I'll see what, you know, he, he said they just wanted to get have more Roddenberry heart and, you know, Star Trek vision where the first one has all the pieces, but they wound up jumping through so many hoops with the, you know, the right. story was just like out of one firing pan to the next fire. Right, kind right. Kind of thing. And um, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But otherwise, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm anxious to see. I was very lucky when I went to see The Hobbit um, in IMAX. They had a about 10-minute preview 
essentially right. of the opening scene of uh, Star Trek, you know, of Star Trek Into the Darkness. And I remember watching it and turning to my wife and saying, you know, they, 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 they've gotten the characters closer to the original series characters. And just in the segment we saw, there was action and, you know, all of that. But then the things the characters said were so much in character with the original series that I thought, I, I said, I said, they got it now. They know what they're, they know what they're doing now. And my biggest complaint about the next generation films, with the exception of First Contact, was they looked like expanded episodes. They didn't look like movies. They didn't look big. And that's what Star Trek should have been on the big screen. And, and with this, with these two movies, uh, I mean, I know this one's going to be huge. The scope is going to be huge. And so with the same one, JJ got that. And I think, uh, he's been, he has been a real shot in the arm for the franchise right now. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and, uh, I mean, people have, you know, there was a big debate about, you know, background and canon and the fact that also timeline and blowing up Romulus or blowing up Vulcan, mm-hmm. you know, over there, whatever. And the one thing I can say, is, I mean, I thought it was really you know, incredible casting. I just love, I mean, McCoy is my guy and I just love Carl Urban. He really, you know, channeled without impersonating yep, Kelly. Totally. And they all did a great job. And, I mean, I would agree with, with, uh, Bob Orsi's own assessment there a little bit, but just the fact that they, that people were holding their breath about, uh, if JJ with the clout and power and the reins he was handed, mm-hmm. um, and this was kind of what I, when people were moaning in 05 when Enterprise was canceled and, and some of the stupid mainstream media was saying, oh, Star Trek's dead. He said, well, no, not a multi-billion dollar franchise is never dead. No. It's just a matter of who will, who will, the, who will be given the reins and where mm-hmm. are they coming from and who do they have working with them. Mm-hmm. And you just hope that it's not someone in it for the name. It's somebody who has a heart for the franchise, you know, no matter where the winds are blowing at the time. And that's kind of what's happened here in the scene he's got with him. Uh, but going with an alternate, alternate timeline versus just a reboot, like they, you know, every three or four years there's a new Superman or a new Batman or a new, you know, Sherlock Holmes is now getting there. And Star Trek is so unlike, you know, because Star Trek didn't begin on the page. Right. You know, as a comic or a novel, it started with those actors and with Shatner, Nimoy, and Kelly, and Dewan, being mm-hmm. Kurt Spock, McCoy, Scotty, you know, mm-hmm. Michelle Azura, and, and George and Walter, and mm-hmm. everybody. Yeah. And that's not the same as having it begin live, and you can't just reboot that every year. I mean, they thought about it with Next Gen, and they said, no, it's too soon, let's do this direction. You know, all that. But to go all to timeline, because you know, there's people quibble with that, but the fact that they did that and let the prime, quote unquote, universe go on, mm-hmm. so people could still feel like it was going, and maybe, you know, because canon is so much a part, as, there, as anybody listening to your show knows, you know, uh, canon is such a big threat, or else nobody would, uh, a lot of, you have great actors and chemistry and writing and story and all that, but it becomes just another good series, but Star Trek, you know, one of the three legs of the stool or something of Star Trek is, the canon, the fact that it all hangs together, even with the glitches, we love to point out, or oh, yeah. you know, fix. Sure. But it all comes back to, and it comes back to us. It's not a galaxy long ago and far away. It comes back to us and NASA and our World War II and our, you know, our history and our Roman Empire and our British Empire. You know, it's out of Earth now through what we foresee, and you know, and then Archer filled in the middle chunk there. So. Mm-hmm. And, and, but the biggest thing is that JJ's movies is they brought so they have actually brought so much new fandom in, and Absolutely. they've gone on and migrated back and got to, and, and having Netflix and having the Blu-ray hoo-ha yep. has just 
there's more fans than ever before. It's kind of amazing. Sci-Fi Talk returns in a moment. That's the funny thing. One of the most popular series on Netflix is uh, is Enterprise. It's like, it, finally, Enterprise is getting the viewership it deserved, especially that last season, which I thought was right on the right track. And, uh, you know, oh, yeah. when Manny Cotto came in, uh, thank God he did, but it was, yeah, too late ratings-wise, but, um, you know, you can watch it. an hour about just Enterprise. Yeah, I know, I know. An hour. But, you know, the same thing is true, and I, I do a little poll when I do convention panels, just to see, to see me and to let the room see where they are. The one show, and we didn't know the media or the method, but it's happened. Mm-hmm. The one show that's also, and, and I think you're right about Enterprise, it's kind of amazing, and we're getting a lot of this now with the Blu-ray release, we'll see. But the show I know for the last year has already been doing that is Yes 9. Yes. It was always kind of the weak middle sister. Yep. And Ira predicted, Ira Bear predicted that it will be appreciated much more because it got squeezed out. You know, it was the second show after Next Gen, and yeah. then it was It's Time to Shine, but then Voyager was the network show, and it all of a sudden, it fell in between cracks of all of them. And they were amazing, considering it was pre-9-11. And, you know, and Ron brought a lot of the stuff to Galactica that they did on the Sunday. People go back and watch it now, and they go, holy cow. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of nice. And I think Netflix, you know, we don't know when it'll be. Eventually, mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll do a Blu-ray. But just from its Netflix availability, people, I see that at cons over and over again. There's like 10 times more people say they enjoyed DS9 now that ever watched it when it was. Yeah, I agree. Broadcast. I agree. When you, when you take take out the network thing and, and essentially give it to people where they can access it at any time they want to. People are going to flock to it and watch it when they want to. And it's just uh, the stories hold up. They had a great writing staff on there that really started with Next Gen and moved over, you know, like Ira and, and, and Ron Moore. And, I mean, it, they just had some really great people, you know, just from there just really – Robert Wolf and Renee Shavaria yeah, and Hans yeah. Feinler and, and, and um, working with Ron on Battlestar, uh, the writing team. Yeah. Uh, uh, Weddell and Thompson. Mad. Yes, yeah, Weddell and Thompson. Weddell and Thompson. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. They, the uh, Star Trek at that time really generated a lot of writers that would eventually become showrunners. So it goes mm-hmm. to show you the talent that they had assembled there. And, uh, you know, and well, it was really... And I want to give a shout-out while you're there. Michael Piller not only stabilized yes. the writing staff in the third season, but he's the one that found those guys and brought them in, whether that was a spec script or... And Brian Fuller on Voyager. Yep. And, you know, I hope his, I hope Hannibal takes off because he had so many, mm-hmm. you know, start shows that should have had some time. And, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. You said Netflix. One more thing. Have you heard about this campaign? Mm. And I've got to go track him down. I'm gonna we're gonna get together this next week. There's a after the success of Veronica Mars, and it would be a bigger budget. But there's a campaign now to get Netflix to fund the fifth season of Enterprise. Wow, wouldn't that be something? It's starting off, but that see, and it, you know, it would be more expensive than Veronica Mars. But yeah, because the return, you know, they'd have to do a deal, and they would probably have to overcome the JJ, the bad robot, um, no series while we're doing movies. But you know, all, there's two are in the can and maybe one more movie. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, who, who knows? But all the cast, I'm sure, would, including Scott, would be up for doing it if it was, you know, done right and they had good people. Yeah, wow. That'd be nice. I'd love to see something there's, like yeah, there's that. There's a Facebook happen. page for, um, I don't know the exact name, but it's on Enterprise on Netflix or get Netflix to, it's because there's been Veronica Mars and Eureka, I think, also maybe. Oh, Eureka? Wow. That'd Green, be being brought back, yeah. Wow. It'll be an exclusive to Netflix, see, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's something. I I wouldn't mind seeing both of those shows come back. I think it, I think uh, both ended way too soon. I think Eureka had more stories to tell that they didn't tell. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a whole different world right now. <laughs> and it, it, um, it is kind of amazing. And you've had, yeah. and then and yet, the thing closest to Star Trek for me and and my wife Janet was was Firefly. Yep. And you talk about it, and, and you, now with Joss Whedon and all the clout from the Avengers. Oh yeah. You know, it's like why is he not um, jumping in and <laughs> maybe it's in the card somewhere? He's having to juggle, juggle things and whatever. But um, yeah, he's being very tight-lipped about it right now. So I don't, I'm not sure. I think something's up his sleeve. He just doesn't want to tip anything right now. Mm-hmm. You well, know? you know, they all want to do it, and, the, and it, it's kind of like Arrested Development. But it's kind of like yep. It's such a cult show, but mm-hmm. also. The critics love it, and the pop culture loves it, and, mm-hmm. and it because Nathan Fillion brought his Firefly fandom over to Castle. That's what's kind of funny. I mean, it's picked up its own fans, but oh yeah, the core of that show's fandom was all the Firefly people that loved him. So yeah, loved oh it. sure, sure. Years ago, probably in my youth, and I'm sure a little bit of yours too, there was fan fiction where fans would write stories with Star Trek characters mm-hmm. and things like that. But you know, in the last few years. Uh, People are doing their own videos and, you know, with mm-hmm. the technology to make special effects and everything, uh, you know, they, these things have actually grown an audience of their own. And that's also keeping the Star Trek, uh, you know, uh, winds swirling. And as I understand, you were actually in one of those. I think, didn't, weren't you in one of Jim Cauley's uh, episodes? Uh? Well, I, that's what's funny. I mean, yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what you said. You can do a movie on the laptop now. I mean, the yeah, pose is crazy, but you can do it at home and, and you know, fan store, fanzine, fan mm-hmm. fan fiction is still out there. Only now it's online. You don't have to go do a mimeo, you know, and all that. I mean, those, yeah. are, those are so quaint and all that. And people, some people still do paper ones. But yeah, today's, yesterday's fanzine, and not to knock them still, but yesterday's fanzines are today's fan films. So, yep. and and it's not just fans. Like people are trying to find a new thing to call them besides fan films because there's lots of professionals or one of these professionals who are you know working on them. But yeah, yeah um, I was. When we were doing the communicator on that, James Colley was visiting that he had a good relationship with a lot of the art department guys. Although back at the day, everything had to be like real secret. I mean, like yeah, yeah, Doug, sure. Doug Drexler had a pseudonym, and Jim Vanover had a pseudonym to work on the thing because they didn't want the studio to be mad at them for working on this unlicensed thing. And, and everybody kind of—that's where the whole thing about okay, guys, go. You know, to their credit, that's mm-hmm. where even before Lucasfilm had their thing, their content. It was kind of like, just go and do it, and we'll look the other way, and don't you dare charge money, or we'll have to come after you. But, yeah. but that, you know, in the, the last two or three years of Enterprise, and they were struggling for ratings, you know, the perception was, they let that go, and that's when... So, yeah, I was in the, actually, the first... I was a view screen character in the first... Uh, they called their pilot now, because it really does look fan-filmy. The quality has gotten huge, and, like, Walter was oh, in yeah. one, and George yeah. was in one, uh, and they were great stories. Yeah, they were. Um, they were. And George's was, and Mark Scott Zickery directed it, and yep. um, it was nominated for a Hugo, so. Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah. So you had that and a couple of, and then I was in a short, I, I got to be in Tellerite makeup and be in a short, uh, one of their no-win scenario. Oh, cool, cool. And be in a very, very cool thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, and then the one we just did, which you may be leading up to. Yeah, yeah, it's really, uh, you know, some of those are actually pretty well done, and, and, and I think they've taken like David Gerald stories and DC Fontana stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, those are professional writers. So 
I've always called it kind of like, well, I get, to use a baseball analogy, the semi-pro ball of Star Trek. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah. The minor league, no, the minor even has a negative connotation. But, yeah, you know, it's like ball. semi-pro ball, you know? It's like yeah. a, uh, it's not quite professional, but it's not amateur either. So, uh, you know, it's semi. It's, it kind of works. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they've done some really good things, and so many other people are doing their own. And, yeah, the quality varies depending on who's doing it. Uh, you know, I, I, I like, uh, what Jim has done. I think I, I look at those and, uh, and, you know, I can, I, I'm entertained. And you're also always in the back of your mind, you're, you're thinking, boy, if only they could have only done one more year of the original series. I wonder what it would have been like, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but at the end, there was also a lot of problems, uh, problems with Gene and the network. He ended up leaving the third season, as you well know. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, it was, uh, they had brought in a, a producer for the third season and that just, it well, they was, were cutting their budgets and yeah. cheaper and Bob Justman left. I mean, Gene Coon had already gone and Bob Justman yeah, left. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Matt Jeffries is pulling out his hair mm-hmm. to get to a, you know, set with a dollar ninety-eight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're rejoining. But you know what's, what, what you meant, we mentioned this a minute ago about how, how everything has changed with audiences and fandoms yeah. and, and channels. And I don't mean channel like channel two, I mean media delivery channels. Absolutely. And we're still in the middle of this thing evolving and these Netflix yep. campaigns and how, what's new ways to bring something on and, and package it. You know, we're in the middle of that kind of thing. It, it goes back to when Enterprise was on. They were just trying to, you know, the, the old Nielsen rating. They were just trying to get the Nielsen's to look at how many people were, t- you know, way more people were recording and time shifting, yep. whatever you want to, you know, buzzwords you want to call it, than were watching it live. And as Absolutely. long as they, met, you know, they did the live one, or there were two hot shows on opposite each other, and one of them would eventually win, and the other one dies. And so, well, that's crazy because, you know, the long run is it's the one people were recording to save and they were mm-hmm. watching the other one. And, mm-hmm. and Enterprise was one of the, you know, they kept trying to say at the time, yes, but no, it's the number one show being DVR'd or being TiVo'd. And so, well, that's a, that's a nice little piece of trivia. It's like, no, it's not true. It's economics. Yeah. And now they recognize that. And now they, and you know, back in the day, mm-hmm. talking about NBC and the original series, they were just measuring raw numbers, and now, you know, everybody lives and dies by demographics. Oh, the 18 to 35 young males, all the, you know. Oh, yeah, sure. If, sure. if they had had those in the day, Star Trek would have been a huge hit, because yep. it was college-age, high school, mm-hmm. college-educated people that were the core audience. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, the Lawrence Welk crowd, and it wasn't raw numbers. And if they had just been in the early 70s, people would have gone, oh, my God. So yeah. that's why the syndication took off, is because they were measuring the real audience to watching it when they could, what could have happened. Visit his official site at LarryNemesek.com and check out his Geek Nation tour that'll be this August, where he takes you to actual shooting locations used for the many Star Trek series and movies. This is Tony Tolado. This is James Colley, Captain Kirk from Star Trek New Voyages, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Tune in again next time. Hailing frequencies closed.